My mother makes our coasters. Um, they are undoubtedly some of my old scarves and sweaters, I'm sure. I'm Griffin Williams and we're at Flying Lion. We opened this brewery in October of 2014, so it's been about three and a half years now. Little family business. Everyone in the family sort of invested in it, but I'm the only one that actually works here and sort of does it day to day. Griffin is the young owner, founder, and head brewer at Flying Lion Brewery, and he poured us some of his award-winning rye stout while we sat and talked about what it takes to raise and run a brewery. Continuing our now two-week trend of going to breweries that fly, we're at Flying Lion, accessible on your bike via the beautiful Lake Washington Loop Trail and a little bit of hill climbing, not far off from more breweries to the west in Georgetown. Griffin and his family have an eye for the details and have created a place with an eccentric and charming personality, which I think you'll notice when you listen. I tried to edit it out, but as you'll hear, I'm more than a little enamored with this place. Okay, we'll just make a list of names, throw them out there, we'll vote them on it later. So I saw Flying Lion come across the list and I was like, okay, Flying Lion, great, sounds cool, but don't get it. And then it finally, finally clicked. So, so my first name is Griffin, and uh, Griffin is a half eagle, half lion. Yeah, it was not actually my idea. I'm the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. I'm 28. Well, I can tell you how old I am, or I can tell you how many years I've been brewing, but you can't have both. No, I mean, I started brewing in college. Um, it seemed like a good hobby to pick up, and a couple of my brothers were doing it. My dad sort of picked it back up at the same time, so... It became this sort of family, not competition, but you know, friendly, like we would bring our beers home for the holidays and sort of do a little informal beer tasting and then you know, who had the best blank beer. And the brewery sort of came from that. There were enough of us doing it in the family that we started joking about actually doing it professionally, starting a brewery. And I was working a retail job and liked it well enough, but you know, I had this opportunity that my family was willing to jump into and away we went. I mean, it started, it started as a joke, right? Like, oh, we're gonna start a brewery and you know, have that, that'll be great. It was a summer or fall, I believe. I got a, an email from one of my brothers who lives out here, and it was essentially this rough business plan for how we were gonna start a brewery. And I sort of read it as like, oh, this is just sort of more of the joke and he was bored, but it really got the seed planted of like, oh, okay, we could do it. So I moved out here to follow a couple of brothers they said they would help me get it going. I don't know, we chose a name when we got out here. I immediately started searching for a, for a location by just biking around the different neighborhoods. Uh, I didn't know Seattle at all, so I would just sort of bike north for a day and see how many places I found and then bike south the next day and um, finally end up in Columbia City. So the, what was the reason you chose Seattle? But it just has a really great beer scene. It's even more advanced on the, like the hyper-local scale. Right, so other, I mean, every city has their brewery, and they sort of have one in every neighborhood, but Seattle has multiple in every neighborhood, right? It's sort of a, like a highly beer-educated town. We decided we wanted to be a part of that, yeah. What other secrets do we have? What other secrets, yeah. <laughs> oh, your, my favorite secret of yours is your bike-powered yeah. grain mill. Yep, yeah, uh, been used since day one. For better or worse, it is our only option. You know, our, our repair kit for our grain mill includes things like a chain breaker, wrenches for 
bikes and different set screws for gears and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's so not your standard toolbox, but uh, it's not that bad. It's kind of fun. Gives you time to relax, think about the beer, get a little exercise. Uh, version one was about five to ten pounds a minute, which is fine for you know small test batches. But it wasn't actually that hard, so it became sort of boring. You're just sitting there for longer than you need to. So we sort of changed the gearing around, got a different mill. Now we're up to 15 to 20 pounds a minute. As long as we're only doing barley, it's fine. But think harder grains like rye and wheat really become, it's strenuous. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> touch and go there for a few minutes. <laughs> okay, I'm looking around a brewery mm -hmm. and I'm having a rough time describing how it is in here. It is, it's got a very cool industrial vibe. Sometimes it just looks like a lot of everything everywhere but other people describe it as sort of like a like a Willy Wonka like you can see everything you can see all the equipment there's hoses and tubes and pipes and but everything in its spot right so it all has its purpose and you can sort of interact with it even as a customer chain everywhere like there's chain and pipe everywhere chains, <laughs> I don't know it's yep. yeah it's that the feeling that you're in the brewery when you're drinking is the smell your brewery has mm -hmm. the smell I feel like we're an interesting brewery in terms of smell, um, actual smell, because yeah. we share a wall with, on one side, an ice cream shop that makes waffle cones starting at 2 p.m., and on the other side, a Kenyan restaurant, which is always just making all sorts of wonderful smells. I can see you've won some prizes. Your medals are hanging on the wall. That would be mostly thanks to our rye stout. Um, That's what we're drinking right now. That's what we're drinking right now. Yeah, it felt good to to hear that other people actually liked it, and I wasn't crazy. It wasn't yeah. just my favorite for no good reason. I think that something that we do here at Flying Lion that is a little less common on other breweries is we are often more on the balanced side of beers. Rather than trying to make a statement with a particular flavor, we sort of start with not necessarily what was traditional, and you know, we're not we're not trying to just mimic a different beer, but but we are trying to sort of give our take on an actual style. And so our Pilsner, for example, is it's a German Pilsner through and through, and it doesn't have Northwest hops in it. Not to say that we don't like Northwest hops, but you know, that's just not the style in our, in our mindset. So if you want Northwest hops, we have that too. We have our another IPA, and uh, often we have some kind of rotating, uh, one or two other rotating hoppy IPAs or pails. Mm -hmm. I think the rice out is a good example of that as well. It's... It's balanced for a stout in that it's, it's nice and malty, but it's also crisp. It's not overly sweet. It's got enough hops there to sort of cut through the extra maltiness, but um, it's just got a nice, really smooth palate on it. So they're really accessible beers. Yeah, we have five full-time beers. So a little bit of everything, a good variety for a year-round, and then we always have one sort of seasonal, which at the moment is our ginger wheat. Uh, it's an American wheat pail. And then everything else is sort of what we feel like making. We try to have a variety in there. So, you know, it might be another Belgian or a lager or, you know, our, our, we have a hazy IPA that kind of comes and goes because everybody wants it. And there's always some, there's always one or two sort of like weird things that you wouldn't necessarily find. So right now that would be the, the Belgian quad, the agave stout, things like that. The flying water monster agave yeah. stout. <laughs> what is a flying water monster? Uh, it's sort of a cop-out mashup name between 
us and the brewery that we collaborated with on this. So it's a brewery in Mexico City called Monstruo de Agua, water monster, right? And so figured we'd take out the lion because that's kind of a monster already, put their water monster portion in there. And in English, it sounds strange enough to, to be a beer name. It started as we were doing this, uh, this event where we had to, was you had to brew with a different brewery in, like outside of the borders of, Lake, or of um, Washington State. So it was called Brewers Without Borders. I realized that I didn't know any brewers outside of Washington State well enough to ask them in this kind of short period of time if they would do a collaboration with us, but I did know some people that are involved with a brewery in Mexico City, weirdly enough. So uh, I think we ended up being the only international one, but they brew a lot of beers with agave in them because it's, right. you know, they're in, in Mexico City and we brew a lot of dark beers. And so we sort of both took what we know about the beers that we brew, threw them together in one recipe, and then they brewed their own version down there and we did ours up here. It was fun, it was actually, it was a, a real collaboration in the sense that we both, like we made the same beer at the end of the day, but we both learned a lot. It does taste good. It's, um, yeah, we'll have to get you a taste here in a minute. It's, so. <laughs> it's, it's similar to the rice stout, and then it's not overly sweet, but it's got that kind of like fruity agave character from it too. Um, that's hard to describe. I, I am in a sort of unique position that, that other uh, entrepreneurial brewery owners are not necessarily, which is that I am younger than most of them and my previous jobs before this were not really careers. So I think that makes it easier because I'm sort of, I am building my career now, like, because that is what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not stepping back from something else that I used to be doing or changing. I, like, this is just sort of what my, my life is now, which is good and bad, I guess. We are sustainable and doing well here, and we enjoy this space and love the neighborhood and will always be in this neighborhood, um, as long as it's up to us. Uh, but we, we, we need more space. I mean, you see it, there's, you know, there's storage everywhere. There's kegs on shelves and boxes on shelves and uh which is fun and it keeps it efficient you know you have to you only have to kind of swivel to get the right part you don't have to walk across the room but i think we're we're sort of at our maximum you know we our cooler is packed all the time and we're constantly putting beer in there just as it's coming out and it's always sort of this this flow of of beer that's a little bit tighter than we want it to be yeah we would definitely stay in columbia city this neighborhood's been great to us um, it's it's proved to be more or less exactly what I thought it was when I when I first came here and sort of toured around different coffee shops and restaurants and talked to people. Uh, it's just really community-based. The people here want to be here. Um, they they try to work here. If they can't work here, they're living here. You know, they're bringing their friends down here because this is the this is the community and these are the places that they enjoy going to. And um, you know, it's easy to get to also from from downtown, it's easy to get to downtown from here. Um, and we just have a really great group of regulars here, it's been nice. It's its own little downtown. It's got it, like, you're, you're definitely in the city. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cars, it's busy, but, but all, the, all the buildings are shorter. Um, there's a little downtown district with a little, little um, almost entirely independently owned businesses. Um, you know, like, there, there used to be a subway here and it closed because the people in this neighborhood just didn't go there. I got, like, it's that kind of community-based um, feel here that, that I think has been really nice. Yeah. yeah. That's the kind of vibe that 
I think people are always on the hunt for. Yeah. Especially in Seattle. And I, it's, right. it's getting harder and harder to find these days. So. Yeah, it is. I think it's easier to find here in this neighborhood than it is elsewhere. I mean, I think that it's especially easy to find here at Flying Lion, or, or really any brewery. I think all breweries have this sort of community feel, because it's not, it's, re it's very low stakes. It's a great place to bring a friend that you haven't seen in a while, because you, if, as long as they like beer, then it sort of works. You don't have to worry about what kind of food they like, or how long they want to stay there. You can stay for one beer, you can stay for five. It's all, you know, you can sit at the bar with other people that you don't know and talk to them. That's another thing I like about this place a lot, is yeah. that the bar is long. It's yeah. got a lot of seats, which means a lot of people can just roll up and be friends. Right? Yeah. Uh, the tables are made from a sort of a mixture of um, wood that was reused from the initial build-out here, um, sort of stuff that we tore out from the, um, the previous tenants. There's some, well, the bar is as well, some two-by-fours from the 1940s when the buildings were originally built. But we took out a bunch of drop ceilings, some of those uh, having two-by-fours and built all sorts of furniture out of it. So yeah, it was, it was convenient for us, didn't have to take to the dump, also you know, environmentally friendly, of course, and it looks great. Super strong, nice old growth pine, yeah. All this stuff over here, this all has to, how did you build these shelves? One pipe and piece of chain and wood at a time. I mean, it didn't always look like this, we we're always sort of building on what we have and right. uh, you know improving and trying to grow. But yeah, I mean, the, sort of the fun thing about this space too is that everything's sort of built into the shape and size that's already here. Everything's sort of, it's custom and, and fits really well and efficient. And yeah, how about this bar? That yeah, bar is that's amazing. sort of what I was thinking about when I was saying that. Um, yeah, this, I, think, I think we're the only brewery with a, uh, a wooden sink as our drip tray. But we used to have an old um, sort of concrete one that was tiled and slate, and it looked fine, but then we wanted to add some more taps and some of the tile had come up, so I made a custom wood sink because I thought that was a good idea. Yeah, that's my, that's my hobby in the, in the time that I'm not here. Yeah, that's Woodward. a useful hobby. You've got yeah. a useful yeah, set of hobbies yeah. for, this, for this business. <laughs> right. I have told people don't do it uh, and meant it. You know, it, it's not for everyone. It is, I think, for people who like to work and are able to work a lot and love beer, maybe not too much, but you know, are, are really intrigued by beer and love the process and, and sort of want to be involved on the scale of everything. Small scale, big scale, everything. But I think for the right person or people, I think it's a really rewarding, interesting, exciting route to take or path to take. It's, uh, you get to meet a lot of fun people, you get to make your own beer, which is great, it's always rewarding. You get to sort of just be a part of the community that you wouldn't be able to be otherwise, which I guess is that, that part sort of guides where I think I want to be in the future. So um, starting this, we, we had, you know, we definitely talked about being bigger. We talked about what that would look like and what that would mean before we opened the doors the first time, but we never really had the goal or intentions of being the next brewery that got bought out by AB InBev or you know the the brewery that distributes on even like a even like a west coast scale we always sort of being we always sort of imagine being the size of like yes we distribute yes we get beer out there but in in sort of a range that 
those people can also come to the brewery. So greater Seattle, state of Washington, uh, maybe Oregon, that kind of scale would be sort of the largest that we even envision ourselves. For the reason that we really are in this for making great beer and being part of a community. That's been the, the most fun for us now and we'd like to keep it that way. We have uh, some permanent handles, mostly sort of in the neighborhood and then you know, scattered here and there across the city, but otherwise you'll find us in any kind of beer bar that does rotating taps. Um, we're in about 50 or so at any given time, so there's a good chance there's one nearby. What was the process for doing that? Did you have to go out yourself and say, hey, look, I'm Flying Lion, here, try my beer, put yeah. it on tap? Yep, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I did it originally when we first opened, but um, now we've got Nick that, that does it. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's interesting coming in as a new brewery for beer bars. There's that initial interest, and we definitely saw this in our sales too, there's that initial interest of like, oh yeah, okay, our customers will buy your beer because you're new and they want to try something new, right? So, so that gets you a lot of sort of easy sales and your foot on the door, but um, I think after that, that honeymoon period, and I think this applies for retail sales too, after that honeymoon period, it's harder. Like you have to actually prove yourself. Now your beer has to be good, mm -hmm. right? Um, you can't just make anything and have it be new and exciting. So now your beer has to be good and then people will buy it and they'll look for it even and then you can sort of pick back up. Yeah. Uh, which is more and more the way the industry is going. Right. I think for the better. I mean, the beer is going to get better, so yeah. My mother makes our coasters. Um, they are undoubtedly some of my old scarves and sweaters, I'm sure. Uh, now she's made enough that she you know, has sort of worked through some other fabric and uh, buys some new, but often goes to thrift shops and picks up you know, neat looking fabric, some that sort of have our color scheme, I guess, and, and then um, you know, doubles them up, quilts them, and then puts a little woven label on them. So, we have them at our bar, we also sell them. Uh, they're great, they're reusable, they're super functional, they absorb all the condensation. They're heavy enough, they don't stick to your glass. I don't know, in my opinion, the best material for coasters. They do get stolen. They are a hot commodity for sure. Yeah, fortunately my mom just likes that they're out in the world. She, <laughs> she doesn't actually take that as an offense, so. I think the, the craft beer uh, resurgence uh, has always been about local, I mean it's been about good beer, but it's also been about local something close something you can sort of call and, and own your own you know like that's my local brewery that's my and i think that'll continue i think for that reason the ab InBev breweries will exist probably forever but they're not it's not going to be a takeover even though the trend is you know breweries start they get big they grow fast they get bought out and then it happens again with other brands and breweries even though that's the trend i think that's slowing uh, i think that Breweries are still getting big, but there are fewer of them that are. And a lot of the breweries are staying smaller or staying smaller for longer. Or, um, you know, being more part of their immediate community. And the bars, I think, are reflecting that. Even your corner bar that used to only have AB InBev taps, now they might carry one or two of their other local options. Uh, here in Seattle, they're certainly carrying some kind of Georgetown beer. And yeah, so, I mean, the numbers show that too. The, overall consumption of beer in the U.S. is decreasing, but the amount of craft beer is increasing faster than that. I think that we're small enough and a lot of brewers are small enough that uh, we will 
avoid the potential bubble that people talk about. Uh, if that is to happen, I think that the small breweries are the ones that will survive because that those are the people that can react quickly. They can also um, just rely on the community as they do now. Uh, it won't be a whole lot of changes, uh, but we'll see. I mean, it's definitely something that we brewers think about all the time. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited and terrified uh, at the same time to be a part of it. Uh, it's, it's a really cool, tight-knit, interesting group of people and, and businesses. Um, but also it's competitive. I mean, there's every day there's more competition. And um, like you said, I mean, we see that it seems like most commonly out of our own doors. So uh, that's tap panels at bars. If we were bottling, it would be grocery stores and liquor stores, that kind of thing. Um, but everybody that I talk to still gets along well. And uh, I mean, I think that says something about Seattle's beer scene as well. Like, I think that my guess, I don't know this, but my guess would be that in Seattle, the percentage of craft beer consumed is significantly higher than anywhere else, or many other places. Myself included four and a half of us, plus my brother does some accounting. So let's call it four and three quarter people work here. The, the first half, uh, we have a bartender here. Um, somebody that lives in the neighborhood. I guess all of our employees live in the neighborhood, actually. Um, so it's something that we, we try to make sure to do. Um, if we're gonna be supported by the community, I think that we should support them back. But yeah, the rest of us here sort of do a little bit of everything. There's, there's two of us that do most of the brewing, mostly split on a early morning, not early morning schedule. We brew once or twice a week, but our system sizes are such that we brew one to three times each time we brew. It's a three barrel system. So you're uh, fermented or ten or nine? Three and ten. So there's sort okay. of a mix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So ideal, on an ideal week we'll brew one of each. We'll brew a ten and we'll brew a three and that's four, four brews. So we can do two each day and it works out pretty well for a nice, a nice solid reasonably chunk or reasonably uh, sized day. Can we go on a quick tour of the, sure. the back over there? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a, a, a bit of, a, well, this happens every day before we open. There's just stuff everywhere. And it yeah. all cleans up right before, we, right before we actually open. So today we were working on uh, some, some replumbing projects. We moved some bright tanks around in our cooler. And now we have to run different beer lines and different gas lines. And it's just always in a constant state of how can we be more efficient? <laughs> I can see back here you've got your like tubs of grain. Yep, this would be our spent grain storage. Oh, this is all spent grain? Okay. <laughs> yeah, at the moment, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we've got a, um, a local farm that comes and picks it up. Nice. And he's, depending on the season, has lots of pigs or lots of need for compost, so it works out pretty well. Is that your mash ore hanging there? Yep, that would be the, the mash paddle. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so those are three. Not very then, fancy, but. So these are your three barrel, yep. and those are your nine barrel. Ten barrel. Ten barrel, sorry. Yeah, so, I mean, so technically our system is only three barrels, but over three brews, we can sort of squeak in a little bit more and we can get a full ten barrels. Yeah, so this is the whole space. It's, uh, I mean, it's nice. It's tight. We can. Yeah, it's very compact. Be very You've efficient got more storage that way. on top of your fridge. All this storage on top of everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the most excited, well, for me, and 
Yeah, I think the most exciting thing for me coming up is uh, our Belgian wit release. It's something we only brew during the summer. We extended the season this year, so it'll be an extra month. But that will be coming on Cinco de Mayo, I guess, May 5th. All right. Which is, I think, the first Saturday of May. So not a huge event, but very exciting, I think. And, and we'll, we'll definitely have a crowd here. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Cheers. You and, as well. Uh, I'm going to have another beer and uh, hang out for a bit, if that's okay. Sounds good to me. Cheers. Want to see more of Flying Lion? Then go to cyclingcicerone.com and check out the blog post where we've got some pictures taken there of the bike-powered grain mill, as well as the charming and eccentric pipe and chain interior that Griffin and his family have managed to cultivate. If you want to hear more episodes of Washington Beer Talk, then go to cyclingcicerone.com. They're all up there. You can also find them wherever you get your podcasts, like Stitcher, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Keep your eyes open for the Flying Lion Bike and Brew route, which might be coming out soon. And definitely coming out soon will be the Ship Canal Trail Bike and Brew route, where you can visit six breweries, Urban Family, Figurehead, Rooftop, Mollusk, Belltown Brewery, and Old Stove in one 60-minute bike loop. At each place, get a punch and then redeem for a shirt. Do you know a brewery that wants to be on Washington Beer Talk? Then go to cyclingcitron.com and contact me. We'll talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please leave a rating. Go back to Facebook and comment and like. The best way to support the Cycling Cicerone is to get on your bike and drink. Please bike and drink responsibly. I'm the Cycling Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk.